The message today starts with a story that includes sensitive content about abuse. So if you have children with you or you aren't in a space to listen to a story that contains content of this nature, now would be a good time to scrub through the next few minutes. I grew up in a family that did not know Jesus. I didn't have a fighting chance to learn about Jesus. I was abused by my dad and sexually abused and physically abused by my dad as well. We lived in a well-to-do place. I was never like deprived of food or like monetary things, but I didn't want the stuff. All I wanted was freedom and my golden retriever in order to, to survive and to live a life, I would have to separate myself from my family, which is hard to do. And I found an organization online called Polaris, and they helped me create an escape plan. And I just escaped. When I found out I was going to Nashville, I found a domestic violence shelter, Agape, that was Christian. I knew I wanted something more, something greater for myself. So I ended up going to nursing school. I stayed in a car for some of the time. I just fought my way back. Ended up getting in my first apartment. From there, just things got better and better. In that apartment is where I Googled something more non-denominational church Nashville and Crosspoint was the first thing that came up and I showed up. I started sitting on the front row in this particular seat and one day they were talking about baptism and I was like, I know I wanna get baptized. I just remember when I came out of the water just feeling like a new being and my life changed even more. My small group has been probably the biggest thing I thank God for every day. They surrounded me, prayed over me, and helped me to feel safe. I had surgery, I call it my trauma surgery. I started hemorrhaging and one of my small group people, she actually worked at the hospital where I had my surgery, and she put on gloves and just started helping the nurses I, I just can't even like voice how many things that they've done for me. Since my dad has passed away, I knew that I was gonna be safe from a physical standpoint and that I could move forward. And I feel like I've already forgiven them. It was more of a gradual thing. Um, I think as I learned that I wasn't the exception to grace, I learned that God calls us to forgive one another. Will I have like wounds? Of course I will. Did they make choices that weren't godly? Yes, they did, but that doesn't mean that I have to fall in their footsteps. They honestly don't deserve that stronghold in my life. With Jesus, anything's possible. I wanna be positive so that others can see Jesus. It's by the grace of God that I'm here today. And I just can't, I can't give enough thanks to him for saving me.
Mary Whitten, thank you. We do see Jesus in you through your story. And, um, and just so vulnerable and just transparent and, uh, and just grateful for your courage. And, uh, and I also, um, also want to say thank you, Crosspoint, for how you give. And it's through your generosity that makes stories like that possible. I was driving into work one time and I was like, I'm here for all the redemption stories. And, uh, and what a beautiful story of redemption. And, uh, and so I want to say thank you for sharing that and thank you for the way that you give and the way that you serve this church so that we truly can be a place where everyone's welcome because nobody's perfect. And with Jesus, truly anything is possible. And we're in this series called Wondrous where we're, where we're talking, about, uh, talking about wonder and I want to get us in to that, to that talk today by highlighting a couple things from Mary Winton's story. The first, when she said, I was baptized and I came up out of that water and I was like, I was like a new, new person. And uh, scripture says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So baptism is this picture. While we don't believe that going underwater saves us, only Jesus can save us. We do believe that going underwater and coming back up, you don't just stay under, but coming back up out of the water is this beautiful expression of the new life that God gives where we are made new in Christ. And then the second thing from her story that just struck me, she said, I've got this group of people, I've got this small group of people, and I thank God for them every single day. And they're a place where I feel safe. And there are people who have come around me and encouraged me. And as I'm listening to that, I'm thinking, man, that is, that is the beauty of community. That's the beauty of relationship. We were designed to live in community with others. Um, and we need friends like that. I had a friend that, uh, that, that said, Kevin, you know what Jesus' greatest miracle was? And I was like, I don't know, water to wine? He was like, no. It was that he was a dude in his 30s with 12 friends. That was, that's a miracle. That is a, uh, that is a miracle. And uh, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, it, it is a miracle of friendship. But if Jesus needed friends, how much more do we? The Son of God, the Messiah needed friends. How much more do we? And friendships are those places where we can know and be known. They're the places where we can love and be loved, places where we can celebrate and be celebrated. Places that, that are those, those friendships in life that, are, that keep us steady in the storms of life and are really a key to personal transformation, experiencing transformation in our lives. And that's what we're talking about is relationships in this series. Wonder um, and that to have wonderful relationships, it starts with wonder. For, for Mary Whitten, it started when she, when she prayed and when she thought, you know what, there's got to be something more. Have you ever thought there's got to be something more? Have you ever looked in the mirror and thought, you know what, there's got to be something more? Or looked at a relationship or looked at your family or looked at some friendships or looked on a dating app and thought, there's got to be something more. You ever thought there, there's got to be something more? And if you're in an abusive situation, something more looks like getting out. But if for most of us, um, something more looks like showing up, like truly showing up and who we are and who God's made us to be. But to have wonderful relationships, it starts with, with wonder. And it's possible to lose wonder in our relationships. And I think the most tragic place to lose wonder is in our relationship with God. Um, anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? Okay. We've been looking forward to this trip for a long time. And over spring break, we, we finally took our kids to the, to the Grand Canyon. And we were planning. We saved up. And we went out west. And we went to the Grand Canyon. It was just beautiful. I mean, it's breathtaking. It's, it's the one place, I think, the one place on planet Earth where you want to look down, up, left, right. You want to look everywhere all at the same time. And the thing about the Grand Canyon is even when you try to take a picture, even when it's panoramic, like even a panoramic shot won't let you take it all in. Like it's beyond the frame. And that's what wonder is. Wonder is when life is beyond the frame. Wonder is when it's bigger than what you thought it would. 
It was. And the Grand Canyon, it was just this, this moment, it's just out of astonishment, out of wonder, this picture of wonder. And also this idea of like a, a kid on their phone with their back to the Grand Canyon playing Candy Crush, being all excited because they got a high score. And that's what this loss of wonder is in our lives. A.W. Tozer said this way, he says, culture is putting out the light in men and women's souls. He's talking about wonder. This loss of astonishment, this loss of wonder, it's not just a religious problem, merely a religious problem, it's a cultural problem. You look around and you see the loss of light in people's eyes. You see the loss of passion in marriages. You see the loss of joy in people's hearts. You see, you can see a loss of meaning from work. Hope in people's faith. It's like putting out the light in people's hearts. It's like standing with our back to the Grand Canyon and playing, looking candy crush or in the gift shop looking for trinkets when God's inviting us to turn around to the wonder and to the glory of who he is. That's what he does through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 55, verse 6, he says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to, to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what God is inviting is he invites us to a life of wonder, that we would turn around and we would see, we'd open up our eyes, we'd open up our hearts to see how good he is, that he is bigger than we thought he is. And he is, he is better than we can imagine. And what happens in this beginning of wonder and with this place of like, there's something more. What happens in that place is it right-sizes God in the universe and it right-sizes us. That we see how big and how glorious and how good God is. And it right-sizes us that we would decrease, that he would increase. And that's what Annie talked about last week. She's like, if we want wonder to be restored in our relationships, it begins with humility this right perspective on who we are, this right perspective on who God is, and we begin to seek him. And so today, the ingredient that we're going to look at that follows humility is we're going to look at integrity. We're going to look at integrity. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 12. It's where we're hanging out in this series. And I'm going to pick up in Romans 12, verse 1, and we'll go back to our conversation there. And Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. Now, just to remind us, Paul is writing this letter to the church at Rome, and he begins this, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, with the word therefore. Now, whenever you read the word therefore in Scripture, we ask ourselves the question, what is it therefore? Very good. And so it's something preceded it. It's following something. When you go back the past 11 chapters, Paul has been laying out these great doctrines of our faith, these doctrines of, of the grace of God and the love of God and the mercy of God. And so Paul's building this, this argument. He takes this transition in chapter 12, but the first 11 chapters, let me just give you a summary and we'll just, we'll just fly right through it and I'll kind of whittle it all down maybe to a minute. But in chapter one, we were dead in our sins. In chapter two, God is this righteous judge. In chapter three, None of us are righteous in and of ourselves, but we are, we are dead in our sin and we deserve death. And chapter four tells us we have been justified through faith in Christ. And so we are made righteous through our faith in Christ. Chapter five, we have peace with God through Christ. And in chapter six, we are, we are dead to sin. 
because of Christ, and we are alive to Christ. Chapter 7, we are no longer under the law, meaning we, we can't work our way to God in our own strength, in our own flesh. In chapter 8, there is no condemnation. Those who are in Christ Jesus, he has sent his spirit to dwell inside of us. Chapter 9, our salvation is through Jesus, and he came first to the nation of Israel. Chapter 10 tells us that Paul longs for his Jewish brothers and sisters to know Christ so much so, he said, if I would be cut off, that they would know Christ. That's his desire, that they would know him. In chapter 11, he's saying, it is a mystery, and it is a glory, and it is a wonder. It ends with the doxology. I'm almost, I got 10 more seconds before I'm up with a minute summary. Okay. It says, oh, the depth and the riches of the wonder and knowledge of God, wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that he should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And so Paul lays out in the first 11 chapters just the glory and the wonder of the gospel that we can get in on this relationship with God. So that's what's all contained when he says, in view of the mercies of God. And then he tells us, so let us offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So I want you to take those, there are three things that he gives us. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Don't conform to the pattern in this world and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So I want you to hold on to those because those are key if we want to have integrity in our relationships. What's integrity? What is integrity? Integrity comes from the root word integer which means whole number. Now, I'm not a math pro. I married a math teacher to help me with that. And, uh, and so an integer, right, it's a whole number. And so to have integrity is to be a whole person, to be a complete person, to be complete, to be whole, to have an undivided life, to have an undivided heart. Integrity is, is about being the same person in every room that you're in. Integrity is not just telling the truth, it is being true to God and to who he's made you to be. Integrity is having the courage to show up the same person in every area of our lives. That's wonderful. You know what else is wonderful? Avocados. Any avocado fans in here? Avocados, I love them. They're just guacamole waiting to happen. Just a guacamole party waiting to happen. And uh, I, I like avocado toast. My girls, Riley and Kim, and they love avocado toast. And I love to make avocado toast for them. And uh, you just, you, you cut it up. It's simple. You just get some fresh bread, cut up, do some avocado smash, put it on top, put some red pepper flakes, some sea salt on top, a little um, everything bagel seasoning on there. And then, uh, and then you serve it up. And I love to give them avocado toast, not just because they love it, but also because it costs $17 in the gulch and it's $3 to make at home. And so I love giving them that gift. It's not a priceless gift, but also almost priceless. And I, I love avocado. And there is an art to making avocado toast, but there's also an art to picking avocados. At the store, you hold them and you're like, you, you want them soft, but not too soft. You want them firm, but not too firm. And it's just, man, there are a lot of different tricks out there to pick them. But there's, there's an art form to picking an avocado. But it always leaves you wondering just a little bit what's going on inside. I mean, there's a big seed and some green stuff, but it leaves you wondering what's up. But you know what I've never wondered when I'm picking an avocado? I've never wondered, is there a banana inside? I've never wondered, am I going to get a grape today? I've never wondered, like, is there going to be a mango in there? Because avocados have integrity. 
It was when you, when you think about it, integrity, everything in the created order of the world, God created with integrity, meaning what's on the outside matches what's on the inside. It's integrated. Now, what's true in the produce aisle is not necessarily true with people. See, all of us have had relationships and we've learned things in life that some people are not who they present themselves to be. That what's on the outside of that person is not necessarily what's on the inside of that person. I mean, we know when I open up this avocado, that's a good looking avocado. It was pre-cut. They don't trust me with a knife up here. And so, <laughs> but we know this is what's on the inside. But oftentimes in relationships, and especially if we've been hurt or if there's been wounds or people have let us down, then we, we wonder, we wonder, is that person who they say they are? And this is where integrity comes into, into play. Because integrity is being the same on the outside as it is on the inside. That who we present ourselves to be is who we, is who we really are. Integrity is not the same as perfection. I mean, if it was, Jesus would be the only person who had integrity. Because Jesus is the only person who was ever perfect. When you think of integrity, I want you to think of more as a process, of a process of living an integrated life. But have you ever had one of those moments where who you present yourself to be is not who you really were? One of those moments where whether it was in a relationship or friendship, maybe it was at work, maybe it was at church, or maybe, maybe it was at school or on a team, and who you presented them, yourself to be is not who you truly were. And then like that moment where the curtain came up and the gig was up. Have you ever had one of those moments where you were, where you were found out, where you discovered that Proverbs chapter 11 is, is true? I mean, I had one of those moments in my life, and it's a story I've told you before, but it was marking for me. It's when I was 16, and uh, I got arrested for shoplifting a CD at Walmart, and the security guard came and grabbed me by the arm, and he said, we're going to walk to the back now. He said, I caught you, and he was right. He caught me, and we walked to the back, and I'm thinking, my world is crumbling. Now, see, I, I went to church, and I was a Christian kid, but I had this I had this, um, this other life that was going on. And so when he walked me to the back, um, he got me back in this small room and he said, you can call your, you can call your mom. And, uh, and I'm calling that. He said, I'm going to call the police. And so he called the police and I called my mom. And I was shoplifting a CD. Some of you are stuck with that. CDs were these tiny little, they were these little <laughs> discs that you played music on. And, um, and so I called um, my mom, and she wasn't home, and so I had to leave a message on the answering machine. Answering machines were these tiny little tapes that <laughs> said beep, and then you had to leave a message. And, uh, and so I left a message from my mom. I said, Mom, I'm at Walmart, and I've been arrested um, for, I've been caught for stealing CDs. But here's what I didn't tell you is that that actually happened on April 1st, um, April 1st, 1993. April 1st is April Fool's Day, and my mom, I was so good at, living a double life that my mom thought that I was telling an April Fool's story. And so she didn't believe me until I called again and again and left multiple um, answers. I wish we had, no, I don't wish we had that answering tape until finally I had to go to the police station. And um, that, it, that wasn't the worst part. The, the, one of the worst parts was calling my mom. The other worst part was when I was walking out, as I walked out of the Walmart, my um, small group leader, Mr. Dennis, was walking in. And so it was in that moment where I just realized, okay, the gig is up. And there's a verse that maybe I'd read before, but I hadn't realized it like I did that day. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3, it says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. 
I, 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 I bumped into that verse. And reality is what you bump into in life. And I realized that this verse is true, that I was being destroyed by my duplicity. The duplicity of I had multiple lives. And on that day, I began the process of wanting to live with integrity. I was like, I don't want to live double lives anymore. I don't want to live multiple lives. I want to live one life. I want to live a life that is integrated. And so I began that process, but it's still a process. Once you become a follower of Jesus, it doesn't mean that, that you're made perfect in that moment. Now you receive the righteousness of Christ, but it is a process of learning to live an integrated life and living out who he's made you to be. Even a, being a pastor didn't fix it. I remember in 2003, when I became pastor at 12 Stone Church and I came on staff and Dr. Dan Ryland asked me that my first day on the job, he said, we've got some denominational leaders in here. I want you to get up and address them and welcome them. So I got up on the platform and I addressed these denominations. They all had suits and ties on and I addressed them. And I said, brothers, it is good to be with you today. So glad that you are here in the house of the Lord. And I pray that today that God blesses you and that you experience the goodness of who he is and that you have a wonderful day. And I said something kind of like that. And I got down off the platform and Dr. Dan Ryland took me aside and he said, what was that? I said, what was what? He said, who was that up there? He said, that wasn't you. He said, that wasn't you. That wasn't your voice. And I realized. And then he said this. He said, Kevin, he said, people like you best when you're you. He said, I'm not saying that everybody's going to like you. I'm just saying people are going to like you best. And I realized the capacity that even as a pastor in that moment, that I can live multiple lives and have a multiple persona and change my voice. And I thought that day, you know what? I don't want to change my voice when I pray. I don't want to change my voice when I talk on a platform. I want to live an integrated life. And I think what we want most from people around us is that they would live integrated lives. And what other people around us want most from us is that we would live integrated. And I don't think the great enemy of our soul is shoplifting CDs. I'm not saying you should do that. I'm just saying that's not the great enemy of our soul. I think the great enemy is compartmentalization. Um, Pastor Craig Rochelle talks about it this way. He says, it's possible in life to have different compartments with how we view our lives. And so what we begin to think is, well, you know what? I got my professional life over here and I got my family life. My professional life is at work and at school. I got my family life. This is my closest relationships, mom, dad, brother, sister, wife, husband, kids, family life, social life. This is on the weekends. This is hobbies. It's who I hang out with outside of family, online life. This is who I am. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, MySpace is who I am in that world. If you're still in MySpace, well, we need to have a conversation. And uh, in spiritual, spiritual life, the spiritual life is who I am at church and who I am with church people. And then I've got my financial life and these are the decisions I make or what I do with money. And then private life, and that's the area of our life where we don't want anybody else to see. It's just our own private, personal life that's tucked away. And so what happens in life oftentimes is that we can begin to compartmentalize our lives. And think, you know what, I wanna keep, keep my professional life separate from my spiritual life because I, I, don't, I don't want to offend anybody else with my personal beliefs. You know, I wanna keep my, my family life separate from my private life because, because I don't want my family to know what I, what I do in private. And, and I, wanna keep, I wanna keep my social life and my social life is very different from my online life. And I gotta separate that from my spiritual life. And what happens when we compartmentalize our lives, it's exhausting because we have to keep up with all these compartments and all these separate areas to our lives. And the gospel rescues us from compartmentalization 
The compartmentalization that wears us out and wears us down, the emotional energy. There's a scripture in the Proverbs where it says that the righteous are as bold as a lion, the wicked flee, although no one's pursuing. What it says is when we live a compartmentalized life, we're constantly looking over our shoulder, constantly covering for ourselves, wondering who knows. But he says there is this power and this boldness that comes from when we live an integrated life. And the gospel rescues us from living a compartmentalized life. Because when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just save one version of us, he saves our entire lives. And what happens is when we receive, when we receive the spirit of God, we receive the life of God in us, it's, it, we receive that in every area of our lives. Jesus is the only one who goes with us everywhere. And so the more we're aware of the presence of God, I think in order to truly sin, we have to convince ourselves that there's a place that God is not. I think we have to, we have to convince ourselves that there's a place that God's not or that God doesn't care or that we don't care what God thinks, but we realize that there is a God who is good and who loves us and who is into our transformation, that he's with us in every area of our lives. This is the, this is the hope for integrity. We can't live an integrated life in our own strength and our own power. It's only through the gospel. It's only through the first 11 chapters of Romans that we can live this life. And that God gives us the power to change. He gives us the power to transform. And this is what we would call the Lordship of Christ. That Jesus is Lord over every area of our life, not just one little slice of the pie. You know, for every time that the gospel say that Jesus is Savior, 20 times it says that Jesus is Lord. For every, for every one time in the New Testament it says Jesus is Savior, 20 times it says, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Some of you get nervous. I'm going to say it 20 times. 20 times. You can do it yourself. 20 times. Jesus is Lord. It's because that there is this freedom in life. To realizing that you have a God who loves you and wants the best for you. And we experience his best when we make him Lord over every part of our lives. And that's the reason that baptism is so powerful, because when somebody's baptized, we don't say, what area of your life do you want Jesus to be Lord? What area are you being baptized for today? Is it for your professional life? Or is it for your, your social life? Is it for your online life? Because you need a baptism there. No, is it for, if we think, where are you being baptized? No, we're being baptized all of our, we don't ask somebody, hey, what parts of your body do you want baptized today? They're like, well, I want to leave my hands out so I can still do what I want. No, that's not, that's not, we're, we're baptized all of us. We say, Jesus, we need for you to be Lord over all of our lives. We need your grace, your mercy. And baptism is a picture of a life submerged in God so that we can live the life that he has for us. Just as a confession, I've been baptized two times in my life. Once was when I was a child, when I put my faith in Jesus. And I believe that was, somebody said, were you saved then? Best I knew I was saved then. And that was, you know, I was taking the faith of my parents. But, but something happened on May following um, that April. You know the April I told you about? Something happened that May where I realized, you know what? I'm going all in with Jesus. Someone said, well, were you a Christian before? Well, maybe. But I know that that May I was saying, Jesus, I want you to be Lord over my life. I want you to be Lord over every area of my life. And I went public with a faith, with a faith I would say was deeply personal, but it was also very much private. And that day, I was like, I don't care who knows. I want to let everybody know that my faith is public, that I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every time you sin, you need to be baptized. That's not what baptism is for. That's a bath, okay? Because we sin every single day. 
We receive his grace. Communion is a gift that is given to us that we, we remember our salvation. But baptism is that moment where we're saying, you know, I'm going all in with Jesus. I'm going to follow him and I'm going to trust him with my whole life. And that's why Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He wants to go back to that phrase, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. As what? Living sacrifices. You know the problem with a living sacrifice? is that a living sacrifice wants to get off the altar. One-time sacrifice is one and done. But a living sacrifice, and you know what I know is true about me, is I want to get off the altar every single day. I want to get off the altar every single day, but it's every day climbing back up in the altar and surrendering to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life the way that I speak, the way that I think, the way that I, the way that I act. I'm giving all of my life to you. It's beginning each day as a living sacrifice and climbing up on the altar. And so that when we blow it and when we will blow, we will mess up. And when there are inconsistencies and when we show up as different people in different rooms, next thing, so we climb up on the altar. The second thing is that we own it. Repentance is a gift. When we realize I've been a different person in that room than I were in this room, we go back and we say, hey, I'm sorry. That's not who I want to be. That wasn't the Christ in me. I'm sorry. And we own it. It's when we press down and suppress repentance and we continue to live, that's where duplicity begins. But if we'll go back in that moment and we address it and we confess it, repentance is, is the gift so that we don't have all these versions of us running around. Um, after I was arrested for shoplifting, my dad said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bag up everything you've ever stolen and we're gonna take it back to each store that you stole it from and you can apologize to the store manager and either offer to buy it or return it to them. And so I had a couple garbage bags full of stuff. And I had to go back. It was one of those painful, horrible, painful, painful. Did I say painful? It was painful to go back. But with each one of those conversations, there was a little bit of freedom that happened. Because I realized that I didn't have to lug those things around anymore. Now, Jesus had forgiven me. The moment that I put my faith and trust in him, he forgave me. But confession is powerful because I realized I didn't, have to, I didn't have to drag that stuff around anymore. And so if you want to be forgiven, ask God. If you want to for, feel forgiven, it says confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. There's healing that happens in confession. And so with all those conversations with all those store managers, can I tell you, I realized there was one conversation that I hadn't had and that I needed to have. It was Mr. Dennis, my small group leader. And so I went and had a conversation with him. And y'all, I don't even know that he knew I was being arrested. I don't even know that he knew that that police officer was with, with me. I think I was so good at duplicity that he didn't even know. But you know, he might not have needed my confession, but you know who needed it? Me. And when I did, when I told him that, he wrapped me up in a big hug. He told me that he forgave me. He prayed with me. And there was just freedom that happened from that conversation. And here's why I think so many of us get trapped in duplicity because we think, and, and we, we lack confessions because we think if that other person knew what was really going on, they wouldn't love me. And so what happens is we think I've got to pretend. I've got to put on a mask. I've got to have a persona. I've got to have another version of me because if that person really knew what was going on, then they wouldn't love me. The problem with that is when we wear a mask, we can't receive their love even when they do love us, because the mask receives the love, the person we're pretending. And other people can't love the person that we're pretending to be. 
But in that moment of grace where we take off the mask and we say, hey, this is what I'm really struggling with. This is the problem that I'm really having. This is what's going on in this other area of our lives. And we, in that moment of integrity where we have the courage to show up and to confess to others, then we can receive love. And you know why it feels so good to be loved, even in the midst of our struggle, even in the midst of our trials, even in the midst of our pain? It's because that's what God does. When other people know us and love us, it feels a lot like what God does because God knows us the best and he loves us the most. He's the one who knows every compartment of our lives. And he loves us without demands. He loves us. And it's an invitation to receive. And it's his love that transforms us and changes us from the inside out. And that's why, that's why Paul says, he says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is to live a segmented life. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of our minds are how we think. And so he's like, we bring our minds under truth. We bring our minds under this book. We say, God, tell me what is true before I bump into it. God, would you tell me what is true so I can align my life with your truth? I mean, how many of us want to know God's will for our life? He said, be transformed with the renewing of your mind, then you'll know God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will. And so we, we, we orient our lives around his word. We say, God, what is true? What is true about me? What's true about you? What's true about the way to live? We surround ourselves with other people to encourage us, other people in the faith. We, we, get, we get in relationships where we can be disciples. We can go, we get people around us like Dr. Dan Rowland who will call us out when we use a different voice. <laughs> We get other people like Mr. Dennis who will love us even when we're at our worst. We can't become who God's created us to be in Christ by ourselves. If even Jesus needed friends, how much more do we? Because we're all under construction. We're either moving more toward integrity or more toward duplicity. There was a, uh, there was a, contractor, a builder who was phenomenal. I mean, just one of the best. And his, uh, his boss, I mean, he built houses. He built hundreds of houses and he built for his boss and his boss was just really amazed at his work and everybody's really pleased with the work, just thorough and he was a wonderful employee. And so they, um, he worked for, I think he was there for 30, 40 years and he kept telling his boss, he was like, hey, in five years, I'm going to graduate or I'm going I'm to leave and Four years, I'm going to retire, and three years, I'm going to retire. I kept telling him because he wanted to go and spend time after 30 years of building houses. He wanted to spend time with his, with his family, with his wife, with his kids, with his grandkids. And two years, I'm going to retire, and one year, I'm going to retire. And there were about, it was about um, a month before he retired, and his boss came to him and said, I want you to build one more house. And he was just frustrated. He was like, I've been telling you three years, two years, one year, even the months, and he said, I want you to do me a favor and just build one more house. And so he built one last house, but his heart wasn't in it. He took shortcuts. He normally wouldn't take it. He hired subs that he normally wouldn't hire just to kind of get the job done. He, he did shoddy work when normally that wasn't his way. And so he finally built this house ready to retire. And, and his boss walked with him to look at the house. And they walked through the house and standing there at the house, he handed him the keys to that house. He said, this is your house. I want to give you a gift. I want to give you this house. And holding the keys, that builder realized, I've been building my own house. 
tell you something, you've been building your own house too. What kind of house have you been building? With integrity or with duplicity? And here's the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus can rebuild the house, that he can restore the house, that he rebuilds things from the inside out. And so if today, if you realize, you know what, I want integrity in my life, good news. It's what he does in us. And we say, you know, I'm not going to conform to the pattern of this world of compartmentalizing my life, but I'm going to be transformed by the renewing of my mind to bring all of my life under him. And there, baptism is a beautiful picture of saying, God, I'm surrendering all of my life to you. The scripture says that even when one person puts their faith in Jesus, when even one person returns, that all of heaven breaks out in a party in Crosspoint, we want to break out in a party too. And for each one who is baptized today, we will celebrate. So if you've never gone public with your faith through baptism, if you've never said, I'm all in with you, Jesus, well, today can be your day. And I want to pray for you in that. So let's, let's pray together. Father, we're reminded that your word tells us to seek you while you may be found, to call on you while you are near. And that we would forsake our own ways and our own unrighteousness, and that we would turn to you, that you would have mercy on us, that you would pardon us. So I pray that you would give courage for those that need to take that next step through baptism. Say, God, all of me for all of you. I pray for those that when today is a day of repentance, God, would you give the courage for confession? God, and I pray for as your people, as followers of Jesus, Jesus, you wouldn't just be Savior. We thank you that you're Savior, but even more so that we would make you Lord of every area of our lives, that we could live lives that are integrated and bring integrity to our relationships and forgive others as you have forgiven us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.